0: This is what, what democracy, democracy looks like. like. This is what democracy looks like. like. We're showing uh, the United States of America yes, uh, and the Republicans in Tennessee yeah. that the movement is still alive. Yeah. They tried to kill democracy. Yeah. They tried to expel the people's choice and the people's vote. Yeah. And they awakened a sleeping yeah. giant. <laughs>
1: Sing it, Justin. We can hear you.
0: Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling there's something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how i get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with
1: you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast. that's heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding, on KFOI and Round Mountains, KKRN. Up in Eureka, uh, uh, in Oregon, on the Central Coast, on uh, KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso Eugene's KEPW, Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN. Palinville, New York's WLPP in Rochester, New York on WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. Seattle's KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950K. TNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites, Blanketing Planet Earth. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. For yet another thrilling edition of the Bradcast, and as usual, for a change, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on all at once. <laughs> uh, we will do our best to cover the stuff that matters most. Although, I should note, uh, Desi Doyen, I've uh, all the plans that I've been working through, through working on throughout the day, I'm sort of tossing most of them out. Yeah, it's kind of how, things, how things
2: work in this volcanic news. Era that we live in. Yes,
1: but as to the things that matter most today, uh, that would include Desi Doyen's latest Green News report. Oh, a little bit late, th- later <laughs> this hour, where we secretly sort of keep all the stuff that really, really matters hidden way back at the end of the show in our uh, regular twice a week segment. That said. This story, Des, did not make it, did not make the cut in time in any event for today's GNR, but it sure seems to be noteworthy. Uh, 25 inches of rain in less than 24 hours in and around Fort Lauderdale, Florida? Actually, 25 inches of rain in about seven hours, as I have since heard, along with some pretty remarkable videos of what largely looks like flooding that you'd see during a hurricane That shut down the Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport entirely with enough water and debris reportedly on its runways to cancel all flights until Friday. What the hell is going on in South Florida, <laughs> well, Desi Doyen?
2: It's a lot of rain. A, yeah. lot, a yeah. lot, a lot, a lot of rain. Right. In fact, at the airport, the uh, flooding was almost up to the fuselage of airplanes that they were not able to park really? away from the flooded area. So yeah, um, it was just shy of 26 inches of rain in just 24 hours, and of course the bulk of that, as you noted, was like in the first six hours. Mm-hmm. They got most of that. That's That's basically one-third of Fort Lauderdale's yearly rainfall in 12 hours. In a
1: single day. In a half a day. In half a day. Unbelievable. In half a
2: day. And that was more than Broward County where Fort Lauderdale is located. Mm -hmm. That is more rain than Broward County got during Hurricane Irma. Really? So it was hurricane levels of rainfall uh, without a hurricane there. Well, so, so
1: that's kind of nice, at least. They didn't get the hurricane, they just got all the rain.
2: Well, actually, it was, I mean, nice, I suppose, is relative here in that way because, yeah. If your
1: house wasn't blown over, yeah, that's nice, at yeah. least. Yeah,
2: but there were drivers who, you know, it, because obviously this amount of rain is going to completely overwhelm mm-hmm. any town's or city's infrastructure, yeah. no ma- matter how good it is. The right. sewers cannot keep up with that, mm-hmm. and the ground was already saturated from days of rain so there was just nowhere for the water to go and um, the uh, people were just getting caught. Motorists were getting caught because the floodwaters were rising so quickly. Yeah. So it wasn't like people were driving into flooded streets intentionally. It it flooded around them as they were driving. So it was uh, being... Li-
1: videos of cars just uh, oh, littered yeah. throughout the downtown area that uh, all over the streets, I don't know if they were floating away or if the yes. drivers just got out and walked away. In both could,
2: cases, all of that all is of, true. Yes, yes. Right. sometimes their cars Man. were floating away like boats. Other times they just abandoned them. Um, it is being listed as something of a one in one thousand year rain event. Now, you know, of course, that's really just a way to try to describe how off the charts this is. That the odds of it happening in any given year are like one in one thousandth. Um, it's We're that exceptional. We're going to have to change
1: those odds. I know. I'm afraid, it's not really a good way to describe it. Because it's especially when it happens every other year, these one in one thousand storms. But yes, yeah. P- and proceed. so it
2: was basically because it was a stalled storm system. It parked yeah. over Fort Lauderdale and just dumped these ungodly amounts of rain there so and because of that Climate change is involved in this particular uh, rain event. What? I can, th- I think we can pretty clearly say um, scientists will, of course, examine it and they'll do a quick attribution study to make sure. But just off the top of my head, I can tell you that we do know that heavy rain events are increasing in frequency and intensity mm-hmm. because of global warming, providing more heat energy. We already know that a warmer atmosphere holds more moisture. Every degree of warming increases rainfall by between seven to ten percent, mm-hmm. um, and we. We also know that stalled weather systems that park in place, that intensifies their events, and that is linked to melting of sea ice in the Arctic. Um, that's an area of research that's still being built upon. It's it's still kind of not under consensus yet, but the, the mechanism is believed to be that the melting of Arctic sea ice is warming up the air above it. That warmer atmosphere is in mm-hmm. turn altering the jet stream that drives yep. weather patterns across the northern hemisphere. It slows them down. And when it gets uh, slowing and windy like a winding river, it helps to keep those weather systems parked in place, like last year's record-shattering heat wave in China that lasted like three weeks. Of course, stuff like when,
1: that. Of course when you say we know this stuff, uh, that would be scientists of course who, who know this stuff and also we who listen to the broadcast, listen to the green news report where you have been covering all of this stuff yeah. and all of those reports that you just sort of referred to mm-hmm. year after year after year we know these stuff, this stuff. Uh, I, you know I didn't get a chance to look at much coverage out there today but I suspect on the uh, in the corporate media on the networks they probably you know covered the flooding but did they connect these? Climate change dots, and that seems to be what's lacking in uh, in the coverage, at least in the corporate media if not here.
2: Yes, I would agree with that. Um, Obviously, I didn't do a complete (laughs) survey of all corporate media coverage of this, but I did not see a whole lot of climate references. I did see them in CNN and on CBS. Good, good. Um, And they did mention it, but they didn't go into any particular detail as to why that might be. So um, we just have to remind people that, hey, um, we have an El Nino coming up that's forecast for this summer, which is going to goose global temperatures and make them even warmer. That is going to also be associated with a really big increase in extreme weather disasters. So really seriously, now is a great time to think ahead for what you will do if it happens in your community because extreme rainfall, I mean... No place is immune from cloudbursts like that. So make sure you know what your risk is. Make sure you got some supplies re- prepared. Know what you're going to do and know what your family, like, make sure they know what they're going to do in case something like this you're happens. You're just
1: this close to building a bunker in the backyard <laughs> at this point, aren't you, Deb? Well,
2: I just think it's really important to know that you've got yourself prepared and your kids right. are prepared and everybody knows what to do. And you've got stuff ready in your car and in your home in case stuff goes south on you. I'll
1: get prepared when I need to get prepared. <laughs> After so, it's too late. Yeah. By the way... Don't uh, do that. You, uh, you checked in with our friend uh, Nicole Sandler, who is yes. in South Florida uh, this morning. She, she doing okay?
2: Yes, she is. She is sort of on the edge of that cloudburst, and she says that they've gotten ungodly amounts of rain as well, yeah. and she hasn't been outside in days, but she's fine.
1: And it's sort of like coast to coast at this point, because we've just come through, what, 13 atmospheric rivers out here in, uh, in California over the past Ye- month least, or so? At least. So... Uh, <clears throat> <clears throat> You're right. It is everywhere. All right. Everything. Be right. All at once. Yep. <laughs> uh, well, when it uh, rains, it does uh, pour in the news cycles as well, it seems. So let's get caught up with just some of the incoming storm today in that regard. Uh, a, a selected, selective, curated, uh, curated trip. There you <laughs> go. Uh, through the day's news. Uh, and as with most storms, especially when they come out here in California anyway... It usually comes with, you know, both good news and bad at the same time. So we will start with what I think is generally good news in that this story would seem to be hastening the utter collapse of today's far right off the rails white supremacist Republican Party anyway. The uh, second of two young black state Democratic lawmakers who were kicked out of the Republican led Tennessee House just last week. Followed his colleague back to work at the Capitol on Thursday, exactly one week after their expulsion for participating in a gun safety protest. How dare they propelled them into the national spotlight on the heels of a mass shooting that killed three children and three adults at a Christian elementary school in Nashville. State Rep. Justin Jones was restored to his seat on Monday, exactly one single business day after Republicans in the wildly gerrymandered statehouse in Tennessee had kicked him and Rep. Justin Pearson out of their seats, sparing the Single white female Democratic lawmaker who uh, who joined the two Justins in the protest from the House floor during a recess as hundreds of young people had descended on the Capitol to demand new gun safety measures after that shooting. Of course, uh, they didn't get those gun safety measures. What they got was three of the well, two of the loudest advocates for gun safety kicked out of Uh, Their elected roles as uh, state representatives. Jones was elected by the Nashville. uh, uh, That would be Justin Jones uh, was elected by the Nashville Metropolitan Council. On Monday to be his own temporary replacement at the House in uh, in Tennessee until a special election could be held to fill his seat in which he will run and most likely win to fill his own seat that he is currently temporarily filling until he is reelected to fill it again. Got that. And on Wednesday, a similar scene played out in Memphis at the uh, Shelby County Council, which unanimously as well elected Justin Pearson to Temporarily fill his own seat. Pearson spoke at a rally in Memphis shortly after the reinstatement vote on Wednesday afternoon. They
0: put Gloria Johnson and Justin Jones and me on trial. But they ended up putting themselves on trial. Yeah. 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 Guilty of white supremacy. Yeah. Guilty of patriarchy. Yeah. Guilty of supporting the NRA of the people. Yeah. Guilty of attacking the poor. Yeah. Guilty of not expanding healthcare. Yeah. Guilty of not giving us educational resources. Yeah. Guilty.
1: Man, uh, those dumb white Republicans at the uh, Tennessee State House sure picked the two wrong people to (laughs) expel, didn't they? To mess with, yeah. On Thursday, Pearson was sworn right back in then to his old seat. Yes, indeed. Happy Resurrection Day, Pearson said as he signed the paperwork for his return. Quote, there will be a new building Of this building with a foundation built on love, he said outside the Capitol after being sworn in, quote, with pillars of justice rising up, with rafters of courage covering us, with donors. I'm sorry, with doors that are open to everybody in the state of Tennessee, not just rich somebodies, but everybody, not just straight somebodies, but everybody, not just Republican somebodies. But everybody, after delivering his speech to supporters and reporters outside the Capitol, Pearson walked into the House chamber. As a debate on bills was underway, he pumped his fist. He silently mouthed, this is our house. And those in the gallery pumped their fists in return and mouthed our house as Pearson circled around the floor. Upon his return to the House floor, lawmakers were debating legislation. That deals with the teaching of, quote, divisive concepts regarding race, gender, and sex on college campuses. Divisive, I guess, because they tell the truth about things like slavery and the fight for civil rights, Uh, and I guess the white people that made all of that possible. Newly reseated Rep Pearson, in his first official remarks in the chamber since his return, then explained why he would be voting against the divisive racist republican legislation
0: i do believe this state this country is redeemable but it is not going to be redeemed or resurrected if we allow the status quo to persist that silences different ideas it will not be redeemed if we do not have the courage to look at ourselves and our institutions in the face and demand that they do better it will not be redeemed if we operate business as usual and not do the work of justice America is redeemable the state of Tennessee is redeemable But if we do not do the work of repenting through true education by telling the truth or as Memphian Ida B. Wells says, shining the light of truth upon our institutions and upon our lived experiences which has made it, much more likely for you to stand there than for me if we do not tell the truth About our past and our present injustices. The state of Tennessee, the United States of America will not be redeemed. This is the work that we should be committing to, not banning people's ability to think critically about how we got to where we are, because we're trying to preserve a status quo that has hurt us. But I've got good news. No matter what you do, people always rise.
1: Chairman Reagan. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The members' assertions are deceptive and incorrect. However, I'll let it sit at that. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. (laughs) So uh, what that guy just said, totally wrong. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, after a... uh A debate involving both Pearson and Jones there, uh, part of which you heard. Republicans then used procedural rules to immediately halt discussion and force members to vote on the bill. Well, I bet they did. The move exasperated Democrats, who immediately pointed out that cutting off debate and silencing dissenters was exactly what led... To the uh, so-called Tennessee Three breaking the House rules after being cut off from previous debates.
2: And remember, this is all about teaching in college. They don't want college-level students who are over the age of 18 to be able to discuss race, sex, and gender.
1: You mean the Party of Freedom and Free Speech is trying to decide what can be discussed on our college campuses?
2: Why, yes, they are.
1: In his address outside the Capitol before he re-entered the House chamber, Rep. Pearson read the names of those who were killed at the Covenant School going on three weeks ago now. Remember, that is what started all of this. He said our law enforcement, which many people praise, are being forced to go to war when they are just going to work. He said kids are told to go to fortresses instead of to go to school and places of learning. We're told to go to church, he said, carrying the status quo's thoughts and prayers while we must be in fear that somebody will walk in with an assault weapon. Well, don't worry about that. Uh, when it comes to, you know, stepping on rakes, there is really no one better than Texas Senator Ted Cruz. He has uh, you know all of those amateurs at the Tennessee State House. He has all of them beat Senator Ted Cruz of Texas recently proposed a solution to these school shootings. Finally, someone coming forward with a solution. Was it, was it more thorough background checks on gun sales? Was it a national red flag law that allows authorities to take guns from those who may harm themselves or others? No. Was it a restoration of the federal assault weapons ban that was enacted by Democratic President Bill Clinton that helped to prevent the epidemic of mass shootings that we are now seeing across the country when that law was in place perfectly constitutionally from 1994 through 2004 when then-Republican President George W. Bush allowed it to expire? Was it any of those things? No, it was not. Ted Cruz called for... Stationing as many armed police officers in schools as we have in banks. Quote, you know, when you go to the bank, he said, and you deposit money in the bank, there are armed police officers at the bank. Why? Because we want to protect the money that we save. Why on earth do we protect a stupid deposit more than our children? Cruz said on March 30, just days after what had at the time been the latest school shooting in uh, in Nashville that started all of this. He added, we have an opportunity right now to double the police officers on campus and keep kids safe. Also, maybe keep the kids from talking about, you know, issues like race. But I digress. He was so proud, Ted Cruz was, of his ingenious idea (laughs) Don't laugh. (laughs) That uh, he he turned those words into a graphic that he could then easily, you know, share with more people. And he posted it uh, in a tweet on March 31, adding, quote, yesterday, I introduced the Securing Our Schools Act and the Protect Our Children's Schools Act. Sadly, Senate Democrats played politics and blocked these two critical school safety bills. But the senator's insistence that banks are somehow a paragon of safety and security, well, that came just days before a 25-year-old shooter opened fire at the old National Bank in Louisville, Kentucky this past week, killing five people and injuring eight others, including a rookie cop who was shot in the head just 10 days after completing his training. The shooter in that incident used an AR-15 assault style weapon, just like the ones that were used to kill those school children at the elementary school in Tennessee. So well done, Ted. Good idea. Compare it to banks. But I guess we're going to need not just a securing our schools act, we're going to need a security. Security securing our banks act and a securing our malls act and securing our movie theaters act and securing our nightclubs act and a whole bunch of armed guards for all of those places before we realize that maybe just maybe even those acts would not work as well as simply doing away with the reason All of those armed guards you're calling for to militarize America are needed in the first place. But Ted Cruz, like the rest of his party, he's not actually serving his constituents. He's not actually worried about them. He's not concerned about keeping those school children safe. He's concerned about serving his campaign funders at the terrorist supporting NRA. Cruz has uh, made similarly widely panned suggestions on how to stop gun violence in the past. And boy, was he hearing it uh, on Twitter (laughs) over this past week in response to that uh, school comparison. When you deposit money at the bank, the bank is armed. And then, of course, the shooting at the bank anyway. So, yeah, he was hearing it, but it wasn't the first time he's come up with a terrible, stupid idea to uh, pretend to keep people safe even if they weren't as exquisitely ill-timed as citing bank security as a model for schools. After the Uvalde, Texas, school shooting, yes, in his own state, where an 18-year-old shooter fatally shot 19 children and two adults at an elementary school, injuring 17 others who did survive, Cruz floated the idea of having a, quote, single point of entry into schools. Well, that should do it. At that single point of entry, he said uh, he told Fox News we should have multiple armed police officers or, if need be, military veterans trained to provide security and keep our children safe. Cruz was booed last year at a September festival in Austin, Texas, after his comments on gun legislation at the festival. Cruz had suggested the violence, quote, is actually the only thing that helps stop violence. Did we I need, hear
2: you say that you right? You did, yeah. Okay. We
1: need more violence to stop the violence. Days after the Evaldi shooting, Cruz had refused to cancel his appearance at the NRA's leadership conference in Houston, justifying his decision. He told CBS that the NRA, quote, stands up for your rights, stands up for my rights, stands up for the rights of every American to be murdered in cold blood. All right, I, I added that last part, but uh, I think we all heard it, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Uh, for the record, Cruz's home state of Texas has the highest firearm mortality rate of any state in the union with more than 4,000 firearm related deaths in 2020. According to statistics from the CDC, you can decide if it's related or not. But I should note here that Texas also happens to have the lowest voter turnout rate of all 50 states So, you know, if you want to add two plus two there, uh, see what you come up with. They also, by the way, are one of the, if not the most difficult states in the Union to cast a ballot. Just in case you'd like to add another two there, but that might explain in part why they have the
2: lowest lowest voter voter turnout turnout. rate. Turns out if you make it really hard to vote, voters can't turn out.
1: Yep. And all that is, uh, well, just one or two or five reasons that, yes, I describe the Republican Party as pro-murder and anti-democracy at this point. Now, we got some good news here. Americans may be catching on. Our uh, guest on our previous broadcast, longtime Democratic political strategist, Simon Rosenberg. Uh, And if you didn't hear uh, my interview with him yesterday, uh, you should. You can download it for free at Bradblog.com. He's the guy who got 2022 right. He was the guy who had warned to much criticism, by the way, from Republicans, from Democrats, from the corporate media. That last year it was unlikely to be a we were unlikely to see a, a so-called red wave during the 2022 midterm elections when, in fact, he was right. No such red wave ever rolled ashore, despite all that we had heard in the media that there was going to be one of those uh, leading up to the November elections. So if you missed my interview yesterday it, when we talked about his new campaign as well to grow the Democratic and crucially pro democracy movement to a 55% share of the presidential vote in 2024. If you missed that, you can download it for free thanks to donors at bradblog.com. But Simon Rosenberg shot out a uh, short version of his newsletter today, which is called Hopium Chronicles. Just before airtime, and it caught my eye, I want to share this with you, our friends at Navigator, he writes, just dropped some great new research. The public's assessment of the House Republicans' first 100 days. He says, I encourage you to read the whole report, and I'll link to it, of course. But he notes the bottom line, the congressional Republicans, he says, are in big trouble with the public. Now, normally, if somebody like, uh, you know, we heard somebody, oh, they're going to be in big trouble, I wouldn't listen. But because this is Simon Rosenberg, who got pretty much everything right last year.
2: Yeah, he's very good at data analysis.
1: He, I think it is worth noting. He notes uh, his top three uh, points that he draws out. Uh, Job approval for Congressional Republicans, job approval, 35 to 59. In other words, they are 48 percent underwater with independent voters. Thirty five disapproval, 59. uh, I'm sorry, 35 approval, 59 disapproval from independent voters when it comes to approval overall for their jobs, how they're doing. Uh, On inflation, they are not doing well. They are 27 points underwater with independent voters. On uh, jobs and the economy, they are 17 points underwater with crucial independent voters. The survey also includes a whole bunch of other issues from guns on which Republicans are under House Republicans are underwater by 12 points among all voters and by 16 points among independents. To crime, to climate change, immigration, health care, national security, foreign policy, including Ukraine, uh, education, and yes, democracy. On every single issue polled, House Republicans are underwater among all voters totaled up, not just Democrats or independents, but especially among uh, independents where uh, Rosenberg notes uh, that is a sign that the Republican Party is in big trouble, says he. We will, uh, you know, ignore his insights on this at our peril, since, again, he was one of the very few who are right about what happened in last year's midterms. Rosenberg notes, I could write much longer analysis, but it isn't necessary. These numbers, he says, are truly terrible, and they are in serious trouble. It's why we need to go on the offense now, he says, expand our coalition, and get to fifty-five. That's his... Uh, uh, slogan for getting to 55% in the presidential election by 2024.
2: Yes, it turns out that when voters actually hear about what Republicans actually want to do and what they actually do... When they
1: find out what they actually do, yeah. When they
2: get into power, then it turns out they don't like them so much. So good to see that it's actually trickling down to the public, this kind of information.
1: The uh, GOP's extremism and awfulness, he writes, are giving us an opportunity to grow our vote, get to 55, just as we did in... In wisconsin last week but now all across the u.s so uh there you go so i so i told you it's a it's a storm of good news bad news and everything else in between <laughs> uh let's take a quick break here we have got uh some more <laughs> some more news we'll find out what that news is i told you everything was uh, shook up today we'll find out right after this i'm brad friedman you are listening to the bradcast <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. The Bradcast survives thanks to you and your support. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to help us continue to do over your public airwaves what we try to do five days a week. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thank you. an oldie but goodie there. Welcome yeah. back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Okay, this is one of the stories. This is this is sort of uh, the one that really threw me off today. Actually, there were a lot of stories that threw me off today. All sorts of things were incoming, uh, trying to make sense of. But this one I knew we had to uh, cover. Because it was uh, one week ago exactly that, as I recall, that we reported on ProPublica's stunning new report on the unspeakable corruption of U.S. Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. By way of a quick refresher here, uh, we, we began in covering it by noting that more than a decade ago, back in 2011, we reported at Bradblog.com on Clarence Thomas having failed to disclose his wife Ginny's $120,000 a year annual salary from the right-wing Heritage Foundation a group which, by the way, frequently has business before the high court, amicky briefs and so forth, Clarence had failed to include her salary on his annual disclosure forms for some 20 years by that point, by 2011, before he was called out for it and then quietly was allowed to amend 20 years of filings, even though the form clearly spelled out that misreporting those numbers was a violation of federal law. But, you know, apparently the federal law is not for Supreme Court justices. Anyway, we reported later that same year, back in 2011, uh, that in between the time that Justice Thomas had heard oral argument in the Citizens United versus Federal Election Commission case in 2009, between that time that he heard arguments and the time that he would eventually vote in favor, Of the Supreme Court decision that would ultimately unleash billions of dollars in dark money into our political and electoral system through nonprofit organizations who would be allowed to keep the identities of their donors a secret from the public, even while they use that cash money to affect elections. Well, in between the time the case was argued and the time it was decided Clarence Thomas's wife, Ginny, had created a right-wing nonprofit political advocacy group and had received half a million dollars in startup money from someone who would be allowed to remain anonymous thanks to that Citizens United ruling. Good timing. By the way, uh, we also reported uh, at the time that way back in 1991 during Thomas's wildly contentious Senate confirmation hearings, a just-created political organization at the time had invested about $100,000, a lot of money back then, in ads to support Clarence Thomas's confirmation. The name of that group? Citizens United. Nonetheless, 20 years later, when their case was before his court... Clarence failed to recuse himself from that decision. Guess he didn't think there was any conflict of interest or the appearance thereof whatsoever. Oh, and by the way, that $500,000 in dark money that Ginny received just before Citizens United was the decision was made public. Well, that money came from a GOP mega donor real estate magnate, a guy by the name of Harland Crow. Which brings us to last week when ProPublica reported that Thomas had accepted luxury travel from Harlan Crow virtually every single year for decades, including private jet flights, international cruises on the businessman's super yacht and regular stays at his private resort in the Adirondacks. The story prompted an outcry. It was really well done, really well reported. It prompted calls for investigation from Democratic lawmakers. And as you may have guessed, not a single peep from a single Republican lawmaker, Republicans who, you know, used to pretend to believe in law and order and stuff like that. But of course, they were just pretending. In response to that reporting, both Thomas and Crow released statements downplaying the significance of the gifts because, of course, they did. Thomas also maintained that he was not required to disclose the trips, but that was not true. That is a lie, at least according to expert after expert, who said that it absolutely was required under the law to report at a minimum the hundreds of thousands of dollars in free private travel on private planes, super yachts around the world and so forth. Quote, Harlan and Kathy Crow are among our dearest friends, Thomas wrote last week in response to this. As friends do, we have joined them on a number of family trips. Crow, for his part, yes.
2: I was going to say, yes. and it's only a coincidence that Crow suddenly took an interest with in me as I was
1: being uh, confirmed uh, exactly. for a Senate Supreme
2: Court Justice seat.
1: Yep. Crow told uh, ProPublica, for his part, that his gifts to Thomas were, quote, no different from the hospitality we have extended to our many other dear friends. Which, of course, has nothing to do with the matter. Anyway, uh, now this today from ProPublica one week later. In 2014, one of Texas billionaire Harlan Crow's companies purchased a string of properties on a quiet residential street in Savannah, Georgia. It wasn't a marquee acquisition for the real estate magnate. Just an old single-story home and two vacant lots down the road from it. What made it noteworthy were the people on the other side of the deal, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas and his relatives. The transaction... Uh, Marks they note, the first known instance of money as opposed to millions of dollars in gifts through luxury vacations and funding of statues and portraits for Clarence Thomas, half a million dollars in funding for his wife Ginny's nonprofit uh, activist groups, etc. So actually money, actual cash in this case, flowing directly from the Republican megadonor to the Supreme Court justice himself. The Crow Company bought the properties for $133,000 from three co-owners. That would be Thomas, his mother, and the family of Thomas's late brother, according to a state document and a deed dated October 15, 2014, that was filed at the Chatham County Courthouse in Georgia. This, according to another blockbuster report, from ProPublica's Justin Elliott, Josh Kaplan, and Alex Majerski. The uh, purchase put Harlan Crow in an unusual position, however, because as of uh, 2014, he now owned the house where the justice's elderly mother was still living.
2: Hmm. Interesting, isn't it?
1: Soon after the sale was completed, contractors then began work on tens of thousands of dollars of improvement on the two-bedroom, one-bathroom house, some $36,000 worth of improvements, in fact. The renovations included a carport, a repaired roof, a new fence, and gates, according to city permits uh, and, uh, and blueprints for the, for the upgrades. Isn't that nice? They gave Thomas... Money and they made major renovations to his mother's home while she was still enjoying it because you know he just happens to be longtime personal friends with one of the GOP's top mega donors. And as you know, longtime friends that's the sort of thing they do, they as one does buy each other's houses and renovate it and let their mothers still stay and live in it. A uh, federal disclosure law, however, that was passed after Watergate requires justices. And there's, by the way, there's not a lot of laws and uh, rules that apply to Supreme Court justices at all. There are a whole bunch of rules that apply to every uh, member of the court below the Supreme Court. But there are very few that actually apply to justices on the U.S. Supreme Court. One of them was a law that was passed after Watergate, uh, requiring them to disclose the details of most real estate sales that are over $1,000. Well, guess what? You'll be shocked to learn, knock you over with a feather, Thomas never disclosed his sale of these Savannah properties, which appears to be a violation of the law, according to four different ethics law experts, That uh, ProPublica spoke to the disclosure form that Thomas filed for that year. Also, that very same year that the sale was made also had a space to report the identity of the buyer in any private transactions such as that specific real estate deal. Well, guess what? That space on that form is blank. Just like the blank spaces that he left blank for 20 years on his financial disclosure uh, disclosure forms in the section where he was supposed to report his spouse's non investment income, such as her one hundred and twenty thousand dollar salary from Heritage Foundation that Clarence must have just forgotten about when he wrote none investment into that space for 20 years until we caught him, and then he was allowed to quietly go back and amend 20 years of financial disclosures. Must be nice, huh? Thomas uh, did not respond to detailed questions for this new particular story from ProPublica. In a statement, however, Harlan Crow said that he purchased Thomas's mother's house where Thomas spent part of his childhood to preserve it for posterity. Quote, my intention is to one day create a public museum at the Thomas home dedicated to telling the story of our nation's second black Supreme Court justice, he said. I approached the Thomas family about my desire to maintain this historic site so future generations could learn about the inspiring life of one of our greatest Americans, now with a newly constructed carport. Crow's statement did not directly address why he also bought two vacant lots from Thomas that were down the street. Maybe those were the vacant lots where he played stickball as a child. <laughs> But he did write uh, that, quote, uh, the other lots were later sold to a vetted builder who was committed to improving the quality of the neighborhood and preserving its historical integrity. ProPublica also asked Crow about the additions on Thomas's mother's house, like the new carport. Quote, improvements were also made to the Thomas property to preserve its long term viability and accessibility to the public, Crow said. You know, in case the public needed to park in her carport. Ethics law experts said Crow's intentions had no bearing on Thomas's legal obligation to disclose the sale.
2: Yeah, I mean, just because you buy nice stuff for your friends, or whatever Carlin Crowe's motive actually was, it still does not excuse Thomas from failing to, to disclose, disclose it. Exactly. It just has nothing to do with it.
1: According to Kathleen Clark, a legal ethics expert at Washington University in St. Louis, who reviewed years of Thomas's disclosure filings, the justices' failure to report that transaction suggests, quote, Thomas was hiding a financial relationship with Crowe. You think? Does, does one really need to be a legal ethics expert to figure that out? The uh, Thomas inherited his stake in his mother's house and two other properties in the block following the death of his grandfather in 1983, according to records on file at the Chatham County Courthouse. In the late 1980s, when Thomas was an official in the George H.W. Bush administration, He listed the addresses of the three properties in a disclosure filing back in the 1980s. Thomas was confirmed to the Supreme Court, however, in 1991, and by the early 2000s, he stopped listing specific addresses of property that he owned in his disclosures. In 2014, the uh, Thomas family sold the vacant lots and the remaining East 32nd Street House to one of Crowe's companies. The uh, justice signed the paperwork personally, himself, and they have a a, a, a screen capture, a scan of that uh, signature on the deed.
2: (laughs) You know, it's starting to make sense why Thomas voted to repeal virtually all disclosure laws for campaign finance and political contributions. Who
1: needs to be disclosing things? You know, that's just messy for everyone all around. Thomas's financial disclosure for that year of 2014 is very detailed, in fact, listing everything from a, quote, stained glass medallion that he received from Yale to a life insurance policy. But he failed to report his sale to Crow for some odd reason, the sale of his mother's house that he spent time as a boy being raised in. Forgot about that one. A Crow Holdings company soon began paying the roughly $1,500 in annual property taxes on Thomas's mother's house. According to county tax records, the taxes had previously been paid by Clarence and Ginny Thomas. So they got to, in addition to getting the cash from the sale, they also saved $1,500 a year in property taxes. Crow still owns Thomas's mother's home which the now 94-year-old continued to live in through at least 2020, according to public records and social media. Two neighbors told ProPublica she still lives there. Crow did not respond to questions about whether he has charged her rent Mm -hmm. for all of those years. How much you want to bet, he don't. Uh, soon after Crow purchased the house, an award-winning local architecture firm received permits to begin $36,000 of improvements on it. Very nice for uh, for Clarence's mom. Crow's uh, purchases seem to have played a role of transforming the block entirely. By the way, the billionaire eventually sold most of the other properties that he bought to uh, new owners who built upscale modern homes on them, including two vacant lots that he had purchased from Thomas. Crow also bought the house immediately next door to Thomas's mother, which was owned by somebody else and had been known for parties and noise, according to property records, and to the former president of a nearby neighborhood association. The house was torn down. It was an eyesore, the former president of that uh, neighborhood association said. Nonetheless, as we noted at the end of our uh, coverage last week uh, on ProPublica's initial story on all of this and on the hundreds of thousands of dollars in free uh, luxury travel that he received from Harlan Crow, don't hold your breath for anything to happen. Clarence should have been impeached and removed from the bench long ago as certainly one of the most corrupt Supreme Court justices that has ever sat on the bench. But as long as a two thirds vote are needed in the U.S. Senate to, uh, in a nearly 50 50 Senate, to remove a Supreme Court justice through impeachment, And especially as long as Democrats control who would be his replacement, well, there will be no impeachment and there will be no accountability unless it comes from the Department of Justice, where it really should come at this point. But they may already be pushing their luck with upcoming prosecutions that Republicans will falsely claim to be political. So pulling their punches, who knows? So much for the rule of law. At this point, I suspect Clarence Thomas could, frankly, shoot someone on Fifth Avenue (laughs) and remain in his corrupted seat on the corrupted U.S. Supreme Court until the day he dies. And I suspect he almost certainly will. All right. Green News Report is next. I'm Brad Friedman. You're listening to the Bradcast. You know, I heard from a listener, uh, Desi Doyen, that would like an entire episode of the broadcast to be devoted to a Green News report.
2: Wow, that Host- would be a lot of work.
1: <laughs> for you?
2: Yes. would be great
1: for me. All <laughs> I'd have to do is sit there and make snarky comments, which is kind of what I do anyway. Yes. Uh, as ever. Uh, and once again, in our latest Green News report. Today's
0: actions will accelerate our ongoing transition to a clean vehicle's future.
2: Biden EPA kicks off next phase of electric vehicle revolution. Crunch time and contentious negotiations over water cuts from the declining Colorado River. Plus... The smoke is definitely toxic. Massive plastics fire in Indiana expected to burn for days.
1: Is that Indiana State Fire Chief Steve Jones? Yes, it is. Indiana's Jones? Yes. All of those good stories and bad jokes straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman.
2: And I'm Desi Toyan.
1: Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. A new study shows that climate change is leading to more major league home runs, attributing at least 500 additional homers from 2010 to 2019 to Earth's human-made warming. And, and I'm being told the New York Yankees have offered carbon dioxide a $400 million contract. Yeah! Seems only fair. This is your Green News Report.
0: I'm gonna soak up the sun.
1: Okay, Desi Garn, I'd like to apologize for my behavior so far. What do you have for us in today's Green News Report?
2: Well, first, another chemical disaster, this time in eastern Indiana. More than 2,000 residents of the town of Richmond remain evacuated after a massive fire at a plastics recycling facility ignited on Tuesday. The cause is under investigation. All employees are accounted for. Fire officials say the massive plume of toxic smoke from the fire is, quote, definitely toxic and warned those downwind to shelter in place or leave the area. The fire is expected to burn for several more days.
1: So this fire comes on the same day or the day after the Biden administration's EPA was trying to curb pollution from Plastics factories?
2: Yes, ironic, isn't it? It sure is. The fire highlights the never-ending toxicity of plastics and the fossil fuels they're made from. And now a landmark new study finds that plastics are responsible for a wide range of health impacts, including cancers and birth defects. The first-of-its-kind analysis examined the entire plastics life cycle, from extraction of the oil for manufacturing to dumping in landfills and oceans. The analysis found harmful primarily to workers at plastics manufacturing and recycling plants and to residents near those facilities linked to higher rates of cardiovascular disease toxic metal poisoning birth defects and lung cancer not good the researchers say the widespread hazardous impacts are magnified by low rates of recycling and the persistence of plastic pollution in the environment they recommend a global treaty to control the manufacture and use of plastics which is now under development by the United Nations.
1: Good luck with that.
2: In the contentious negotiations over water allocations from the rapidly declining Colorado River, the Biden administration this week laid out stark choices facing seven western states that rely on the river, which is in steep decline due to chronic overconsumption and historic mega drought. The draft proposal is focused on keeping two of the nation's largest reservoirs from reaching dead pool status when levels are so low. Flow that water cannot flow past the dams. The proposals are pretty dire trade offs. One path would cut by an equal percentage across the board for all users, potentially as much as 25%, which would hit California the hardest and trigger litigation. The other would preserve California's senior legal water rights and prioritize its farming regions that feed the nation but would leave little for Arizona and Nevada.
1: I'm guessing California likes that second option better.
2: The states have until summer to reach an agreement or the Interior Department will impose cuts. Finally, in a major announcement, Environmental Protection Agency Administrator Michael Regan this week proposed strict new tailpipe pollution limits that would put the United States at the forefront of the global transition to electric vehicles. That'd be nice. If adopted, the new standards would begin in Model year 2027 and would effectively require more than half of all new cars and light trucks sold in the United States to be electric by 2030. The draft rules do not mandate electric vehicles or ban gas powered models and instead leave it up to automakers to decide how best to reduce overall fleet pollution. If the rules are adopted as proposed, EPA scientists say it would cut car and truck pollution and carbon emissions in half within a decade. EPA estimates the benefits of the new standards would exceed costs, saving consumers on average $12,000 over the life of a vehicle and revitalize American manufacturing. Plus, cutting pollution and greenhouse gas emissions will deliver massive savings on public health and climate costs.
0: That's close to $2 trillion in net benefits and over 10 billion tons of CO2 emissions avoided.
1: This is historic news. It may be historic, but, you know, I bet we could run the entire American car fleet on the anger of Fox News viewers <laughs> after Indeed. that story. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report.
2: Electric car, so good so far.
1: Thank you very much, Jesse Doyen, our producer, and thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or just want to listen again or share it with a friend or an enemy, you can download it for free (laughs) anytime at bradblog.com. That is thanks to those of you kind enough to support our work via bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me an email if you like. I am Bradcast at Bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks, Twitters, and Mastodons, you'll find me at simply the Brad blog. We'll see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Electric
2: car beside the tree. Roll we'll past the.